0: Today on Barca Talk, a scoreless draw in the Clásico leaves FC Barcelona at the top of the table, but still tied on points with Real Madrid. Maybe the scales will tip this weekend when Barcelona face Deportivo Alaves. Hi, this is Barca Talk, the FC Barcelona fan podcast. I'm Brian Henderson, your host in Buffalo, New York. Today, we're going to break down the Clásico and we'll scout this weekend's opponent in La Liga Deportivo Alaves. This is our last episode of the year, and our small gift to you is an episode without any commercial breaks or funding appeals. This is exactly how our members listen to every episode. I think it's an overall better listening experience. And if you agree and you want to listen to every episode like this, support the podcast either with a monthly subscription on Patreon or a one-time donation. Both of those options are on our support page at Barsatalk.net. There is a link to that in our show notes, so follow that. Thanks. Now... Joining me from Madrid is our tactical analyst Gabriel Quiroga.
1: Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother.
0: How you doing, buddy? I'm do, I'm a little freaked out <laughs> right now uh, because we're recording um, very uh, much earlier than we had planned. Because my wife and I woke up this morning and realized that our flight to California for the holidays is today, not tomorrow. I thought I had all day to just you know get everything squared away, get and then we would record in mm-hmm. the evening like we normally do. Uh, And I would be able to do all my laundry, get everything, you know, organized. Sure. And then tomorrow we would leave. No, we have. (laughs) Luckily, the flight isn't in the morning. So we were able to uh, do an emergency recording session and get this get this episode out. So a little flustered, but surprisingly calm, given the circumstances. I don't usually respond well to um, unexpected news like this.
1: You know, like I said before, it's vacation, baby. Just let it roll. You know, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just roll with it. Yeah, it's I mean. It's not bad advice for life. I yeah, guess. yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, here, Ryan, where it's rainy, I'm getting ready for vacation now, just counting down the days until Christmas time and where I can just sleep in every day. I cannot wait.
0: Yeah. And whether you're in Barcelona or Madrid, there's a general malaise after this Clásico we just witnessed.
1: For sure. Especially since it's so close to the holidays. I mean, this is the latest Clásico that I can remember. You know, last night, you know, especially because of the match and no one really won. Essentially, there were no goals. Like you said, there's just a malaise over the city. Kind of everyone's kind of trying to diagnose what they saw and everyone's unsure of what they saw <laughs> right
0: <laughs> what even happened yeah. well we're gonna get into that today and i think we're we're best off just diving right in as you know the classico was on wednesday real madrid came to barcelona to have la liga match day 10 in the camp new it was a scoreless draw one of the most beige <laughs> Clasicos in recent memory I think we have to start by talking about the draws that both of these teams had in La Liga last weekend. Barcelona's match with Real Sociedad ended in a 2-2 draw, and for the better part of a day after that, the the specter of Real pulling ahead with a win against Valencia was hanging in the air, but Valencia had other ideas, and that game ended in a 1-1 draw. Valencia were on track for a win, but thanks to a very last minute, I mean, thanks to Real Madrid fans, I guess. From Karim Benzema, he gets a very last-minute goal. Real salvaged the point, and they came into this Clasico even on points with Barcelona. And then at the end, still dead even on points. For sure. I watched this game after we recorded the Valencia-Real Madrid game.
1: And before, you know, the Clasico, I took away that, you know, one thing is very apparent is that Zidane has more faith in his bench and tries to put the players in better positions than Valverde does with his bench. You mm-hmm. know... As we talked about in the last episode, Real Madrid has some key injuries, but he's been able to find enough patchwork players to not only get points, but also look like they're trying to get a victory. And that's what we're kind of lacking. And in this match, you know, Valencia scored late. I definitely thought Valencia was going to pull it off. But Real Madrid threw everything on the last corner kick. Courtois got a header on. And for some reason, Garay did a back heel play. And Benzema was right there to scoop it up and basically finish it. And they were able to tie. So that, I think just getting that point in the last, you know, the last whistle was huge for Real Madrid because going away to Valencia and then away to Barcelona to get
0: basically two points where they could have got losses. was really huge for them going into the Christmas break. Yeah. Now, there was a lineup in this in the Classico now. There was a lineup uh, shakeup. Sergio Busquets was originally in the lineup, but Valverde then changed it put Busquets on the bench, and Rakitic started in the central midfield position with Sergio Roberto on the right side of the midfield and De Jong on the left. And we've never seen this midfield lineup before. So what was your reaction before kickoff to that, and how did it go once the game got underway for you? <laughs> so at first I was I was okay with it because
1: as we talked about Busquets' recent form, for me it's just not been the best, and he's really slow right now. But the other thing, too, when I looked at it, I said, OK, but where is Rakitic and Dijon going to play? Because that, for me, was going to be vital. And, of course, Valverde did the opposite of what I would have done. Dijon right. is the perfect pivot. He's the future pivot. We need him there. Rakitic is better on the right. And that's a fact, right? And everyone's complaining on Twitter about Busquets should have started. And I don't think it would have made a difference last night, honestly. But my main critique on this is put Dijon in the middle. He had to take over in the middle at times because Rakitic was not comfortable when Real Madrid was pressing. So that was my first reaction. The second reaction, why is Roberto in the midfield? Just put him in the right back. You know, I think for me, he's better at right back against Madrid because he's more technically gifted than Semedo. And in this match, we need more technically gifted players, not just speed. And I think Roberto would have been better at right back. And then we could have used another midfielder in there. That would have been a little bit more dynamic or someone. You know, Alenia, for example, I think would have been perfect in this match.
0: Well, another thing that is gonna come up as we continue to talk about it is that we did lack speed. And we needed speed, but maybe not in in that position. For sure. I mean that's the thing. We I
1: mean, we need we had no dynamic play at all we were slow walking and it's interesting brian because you know this whole season we've had peaks and valleys of stagnant plotting play right and i said to myself before i was like if barcelona do not come out of the gates for this match then how are we going to come out for any other matches going forward because this is supposed to be the ultimate rivalry this is supposed to be the ultimate game
0: and we looked like we were playing alaves this weekend right <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it did not look great. And, you know, another thing, just to go back to something you mentioned a second ago, it seems like no one can really agree on who the first pick right back is. Some think it's Samedo. Some think it's Sergio Roberto. I would think that it's actually Sergio Roberto just because he's been doing it longer than Samedo. But Samedo has sort of been becoming the first pick right back. And it's a little out of the ordinary when you're not sure who the first choice is in a position. Again, I just I,
1: – I don't understand this because Semedo and Roberto just don't have any chemistry playing together. And as we've talked about in the previous episodes, Rakitic and Roberto do. So why mess with that chemistry? We need balance. We need players to trust each other, especially in a Classico when we saw Zidane use a new formation and a new press that we weren't expecting. And to have Rakitic and Roberto on the right side would have been huge to alleviate some of that pressure. And again, I just don't understand all these, you know, we want players to come in and out of the lineups, but also you have to be smart about it. And you have to find these chemistry connections that are ultimately going to help Barca with possession and attacking.
0: I do think that one aspect of Roberto's game that has been improving progressively over the years that he's been in the first team is because I remember when he was first starting, he lacked concentration. A lot of times it was easy for him to get caught out. And over the years, he's gotten so much better about that. He's become much more tactically aware. And he was backing up Semedo pretty well, but not with any real coordination with Semedo. It was, it was more like, I see what he's doing, so I'm going to do this. There there was no locking of eyes. There was no <laughs> there was no actual understanding between them. It's just more like Roberto saw what Semedo was doing and he stepped in to back him up. So that was good on him. But of course, Rakitic Roberto would be a much better team up on that right side
1: again i mean we know roberto plays well in classicos right so i understand valverde's confidence in putting him in the lineup but just put him in the right back when i was looking at some of the heat maps afterwards you can see that samedo and roberto were crossing paths all the time but not in a good way you know not like an overlaps it was that we were both together because roberto at times was trying to play kind of this hybrid right back midfield as opposed to just the midfield right and right. that's perfectly natural because he's he plays most of the time as a right back. So you either have to pick one of these guys, right? And like I said, I would just prefer Roberto because of his technical ability over Semedo.
0: One really uh, frustrating thing about this game from the, a Barcelona fan's standpoint is that Barca didn't get their first shot off until the 31st minute when, when Messi finally got a shot in. It was saved actually by Ramos. And in the first half, Real outshot Barcelona 12-4 to overall, 4-1. to for on target and this really exposed something we've been talking for weeks that even though we've been getting results we get getting wins and draws at times when necessary it's papering over the cracks in this team and what this match really exposed we knew that it was just a matter of time before these cracks would be exposed by a better team of course real madrid comes in and they did the exposing they were pressing barca like crazy meanwhile the biggest thing missing from Valverde's Barcelona is we have no press to respond. For sure. That's a good point. I mean,
1: Madrid came out. You know, when I saw the lineups in the formation on TV, I was like, oh, <laughs> because I knew at that moment that Zizu made a tactical change. Right. Because he normally doesn't do 4-4-2. But the way he utilized Isco. And then all of a sudden, he utilized Bale. I knew we were going to be a little bit in trouble because of Bale's speed and also Valverde's speed as well, as we talked about in the previous episode. But just like you point out, how many times did our midfield or attacking people come and retrieve the ball from Ter Stegen when we were pressed? We were walking all over the place. You know, I acquainted to basketball, Brian, in that back in the 90s, there was a team with Kentucky. And what they would just do in Arkansas as well, they would just full court press you. And it's super difficult to maintain that for the whole game because mentally you just get fatigued and so forth. Madrid just took a play, you know, page from that playbook. They pressed us so high. We just got – we weren't into it. We didn't want to fight for that press. What did we resolve to? Long balls to Suarez and Suarez's horrific, horrific first touches.
0: Yeah, yeah. He was very ham-footed in this game, which didn't help – at all, but another thing is that Barcelona used to, under other managers and with different players, admittedly, they used to press mm-hmm. in the midfield for the ball. Now Valverde has them holding a shape and waiting for the opponent to make a mistake and more often than not, that works when you 're playing good teams, but you know not very good teams, mm-hmm. teams like Celta, even Atletico that they, they will make mistakes and you can just recover the ball there in this particular game. our passing was really off point and there was no pressing for the ball there was just that holding the shape and waiting for a mistake that didn't come again it's just like the attitude it's like going into this game
1: hoping for the tie right it's that kind of attitude with the you know especially now you know with with our attacking three and so forth I think it really just kind of starts with Messi right if Messi is plugged in and he's pressing then Suarez will pick up his game and then everyone else kind of picks up their game but like last night in the game before that um, against Sociedad, Messi was not pressing as much. And that just kind of goes through the whole team, you know. And it's really difficult for me to identify Messi's fault in this because he's pressing because he adds so much more value to the team. But again, this just goes back to the lineup where I believe that Suarez should not start. You know, we saw that he has no speed, his horrific passing and touching. How many times do we lose the ball? And all of a sudden, when you're resulting to long ball, You have a 50-50 shot just to maintain possession, right? And that's just not our style. We have to build up from the back. And just like you said, we're not trying to win the ball back. And all of a sudden, we're just inviting Real Madrid just to come in. And if you look at their heat map from the first half... Brian, it's it's insane. It's like I don't understand how they didn't score four goals. Yeah, I mean it
0: was really only by fluke, by mm-hmm. luck, by chance that yeah. they didn't convert on some of those chances. Exactly, and I don't know if that's just because of Benzema because, you know, like I told
1: you that he's a great player. Wow, good, great, you know, in between that. But again, I'm not scared of him. I'm more scared of Bale, for example, than Benzema. But again, they had most of the attacking, clear attacking possession in our fr- in our back third. We were under duress the whole time. And also just having Rakitic and Dijon out of position just puts our whole midfield in,
0: in flux. I would say that Real Madrid, even though they did have some good chances in the first half, the finishing wasn't stellar. So that contributed to it. Most some of the saves were not easy, but mm-hmm. they weren't miraculous. Saves. Sure, sure, sure. I, I accept maybe for the one that PK made off the line. That was that was primo. Yeah. yeah. But what about how did you feel every time they just crossed the ball?
1: Like I was just like holding my breath. Yeah, exactly. I was (laughs) holding my breath because all of a sudden you see the Madrid player in the box and you're kind of, oh, my gosh, this could happen. This couldn't, you know, because, again, we're not the strongest in the air. And, again, it's this diversity of attack on us, right? I mean, we were – it was really hard to tell who was the home team, you know, for most of the match. And, again, I just – you know, it goes back to Valverde's tactics, attitude, structure, player selection, all these things. And now it's diluting the greatest – football game of the year you know I mean it was really just almost uninteresting from a Barca fan
0: because we want to see more dynamic play and we just didn't get it and one tactical aspect of this that you noted is that Real Madrid was uh, holding one of their highest lines of the season for sure and we talked about because they weren't scared of anyone on the forward
1: line to beat them over the top and most of the times they were in the midline or front and so by doing that Barcelona was not prepared and they still didn't adjust to it in the second half that much. Right. It was more that Madrid laid off the press rather than Barca breaking the press. And right for, yeah. And for me, that is huge. I mean, I think it would have been a different story if you start Messi, Griezmann and Fati, then all of a sudden Griezmann has a better first touch than Suarez. You have Fati with a little bit of speed on the flank. Then all of a sudden they're not, you have a little bit more space in the midfield to work your way around. But with Suarez walking, and Messi, as I just talked to you before, before we start recording, is he hurt? I mean, these last two matches, I mean, he had some opportunities here, but he wasn't the messy Messi that we expect all the time. You know, he wasn't dynamic, really as playmaking as much as he could because we didn't have the ball. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> it helps to have the ball. Correct. <laughs> He's better when we have the ball. Yeah, for sure. Now, as far as the Griezmann-Suarez thing, you're right that Griezmann certainly has a better first touch on average than Suarez. But when it comes to goal scoring... Does Suarez have a better finish generally than Griezmann? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the goal and opportunities, I would say yes, you know. But
1: again, this would be a perfect opportunity to bring him as a sub with the last 15 minutes to inject something. But in this match, Brian, we just need legs. We need speed. We need someone pressing. And if you had Fatih and Griezmann both pressing, then all of a sudden maybe that gets messy going too because he sees the other two and he doesn't want to be you know left out kind of in that uh, pressing sure. Ramos and Ron would have been more scared of Griezmann up the middle with all his movement and so forth than just plotting Suarez and so right. yeah you're right you know if the ball comes to Suarez you know who do I have more confidence Griezmann or Suarez I mean I would say yes a little bit more Suarez but as we've talked about the whole season Griezmann for me provides so much I mean there's pictures of him last night playing left back yeah, a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, especially on the cancel. It's not goal. a rare thing. Yeah, especially on the goal that was uh, that was waived off. You know, if you yeah. look at that picture, Griezmann is playing left back. This cannot stand. <laughs> you know, <laughs> of all aggression. the people, is, of all the people that are just want more out of Griezmann. Griezmann is doing so much, and again, he wasn't. He was not electric last night. He, I understand that, but at the same time, he's not playing his position he's asked to play more defensively and because he had to last night, because if he didn't, we were going to be overrun even more by Madrid.
0: Yeah. And as far as the question of finishing, it's one thing to say that Suarez might be a stronger finisher than Griezmann, but with Griezmann up the middle, you would at least have more opportunities and then you could play the numbers game. He would have more chances to shoot and he would probably convert more.
1: You're right. And again, his movement would have been key, but I think more importantly, there would have just been much more space in the midfield for us to turn and go and to bring the ball up even more
0: yeah now let's talk about substitutions because Valverde tends to make his first subs a little later in the game this time he made a, a move about 10 minutes into the first half when he put on Vidal for Samedo which then pushed Sergio Roberto to his apparently rightful position at right back and also right at that moment was a uh, a mild shower of beach balls and balloons that started entering the pitch I was in touch with one of our listeners who was in Barcelona and posted um, a little video from outside the stadium where there were protests happening. This was the Tsunami Democratic demonstration, and he got some feedback from other people, some comments on this video saying that they didn't show what was happening in the stadium with the balloons or beach balls that were being thrown onto the pitch on TV. We saw a little bit of it here in the U.S., so I got to see a little bit of what was happening, and it was underwhelming, much like the game itself. The... Inside the stadium demonstration was a little anemic, which is not bad. Um, Tsunami Democratic supporters were flying their banners and chanting freedom for political prisoners during the game. But there was this mild shower of things outside. There was a literal dumpster fire. So luckily, things were pretty well under control in the stadium.
1: Yeah, like we talked about in the last episode, you know, the two points of view from Madrid and Barcelona. Right. So, you know, I'm living in Madrid. So I watch most of the news here is from Madrid point of view. And they were really concerned about the protests and the Madrid uh, bus coming to there. And then on the Barcelona side, they were saying nothing about it. They basically said the Mosos had everything covered. And as we saw last night, everything was pretty secure. And they actually did a really good job of securing everything. And I think also just the amount of time that they had to plot and plan everything and just to kind of anticipate things. But again, as we were joking around. I mean, there was two dumpster fires at the Camp Nou, right? The, the <laughs> one outside and the one inside, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> the figurative and the literal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so no, no surprise Vidal comes on. Um, also, no surprise he comes on for Samedo. Sergio Roberto goes to right back.
1: I mean, I'm just gas at this. I mean, you remember what we talked about my denial, right? It's not only a river. But, <laughs> I mean, Vidal should only be the answer to one question about Barcelona. And it is. Who is the only Chilean player right now on the team? Vidal, <laughs> right? It's not who is the player that's gonna help spark plug the attack on against the Classico Vidal. No, I'm sorry. And and people were tweeting at me about saying, like, oh, he actually played pretty well and so forth. That's not the point, right? Like the <laughs> point the point is for me, he's just not a Barça player. And I don't understand why he continues to get so much playing time. I mean, I would have loved to see Alenia just to come in as a spark plug, someone that can actually pass and go, someone who knows how to tiki-taka, right? Not just go full board, you know, just straight ahead in one straight line. And that's what Vidal does. Now, everyone that's going to tweet at me and say, yeah, but Vidal did this. No, 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 I'm sorry. Like, he just goes straight ahead and that's it. I mean, he may have some energy and some here or there. I want to see elenia I'd rather see Ricky Pouge out there, okay? sure. These are the players I want to see because these are the players that are Take people one-on-one, and that's what we needed. We needed some sort of creativity player to break the ice there, and we just don't have it right now on the bench.
0: Yeah, and I think you make a lot of good points from a tactical perspective. But to our listeners, again, before you tweet at Gabriel about this, (laughs) he's in denial. He just can't (laughs) cope. And believe me, every week we go over this. Every time Vidal comes in, and he will come in, this conversation happens. Gabriel is – afflicted with denial about the fact that Valverde is going to put Vidal in and Vidal is going to do what Vidal does.
1: I mean, he played 30 minutes. I mean, are you yeah. kidding me? <laughs> it's like, what?
0: <laughs> Again, I i just I just
1: expect more from this team and Vidal is not the answer. That's just plain and simple. You know, I expect more from this team. I think as we talked about just before we recorded, the team is good. But the team needs to be put under pressure. The team needs some youth. The team needs some more dynamic tactical decisions. And Mr. Beige continues to roll out there and roll out ties because, again, he's fine. Everything is fine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know what's really strange, though, is that Valverde could have put Alenia in, for example – He had an unused sub. He wound up, by the time the final whistle blew, he had only used two of his three substitutions. So, I mean, talk about a lack of imagination.
1: Well, you know, the the good thing is this weekend, Brian, you get to use four subs.
0: Really? No, I'm just kidding. No, (laughs) you can't. (laughs) You can't bring that sub. (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes I miss little rule changes and I thought, oh, they're letting you bank substitutions now? That'd be an interesting twist. Yeah,
1: no. Again, you know— I, I just I, I want to win. I love winning, you know, and I love seeing yeah, winning's nice, and I love seeing goals more than anything, you know. And I really think that if Madrid had scored first, then I think that might have put some fire in our pants, right, to to go for the goal. Unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, unfortunately, whatever you want your point of view, Madrid didn't score. That's fine, okay, but we continue to sleepwalk through the season. I have complete no confidence about the league or the Champions League until we do something radical or we have some new tactical wrinkle. But again, Brian, everyone has the playbook and we continue not to adapt. You know, in the next round, of course, we're we're favored against Napoli. But again, after that, it's going to be a 50-50. And the way Madrid is playing right now going forward, I mean, who do you have more faith in the tactical analysis, Zidane or Valverde? And right now I'd have to say Zidane. He's going to get his injured players back. And so that's going to put some more ammo in their lineup. So, again, I'm disheartened by this because I love the Classico. And for me, like we
0: talk about, it was the beigest Classico that I can remember. Right. I, I think if there's one word that you're not going to associate with Valverde, it's radical.
1: <laughs> I mean, it was a funny thing because on when I was watching the game, you know, Valverde's quotes after the game, I mean, he should seriously consider... Starting an ASMR channel because his <laughs> press conferences will gladly put you to sleep. I mean, he gives you nothing, Brian. It's like, why did Busquets? Do this? well, he's 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 under the weather and like nothing <laughs> else. You know, it's like so just, you know. And the whole time I'm just looking at him is like that guy's making twenty mil. You know, oh. and it's just, uh, I mean, again, Brian, I'm just I'm 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 really passionate about the Classico. and we talk about this this lead up you know, all the anticipation and just to not even get a goal or the performance that we showed up. I mean, basically
0: here, Brian and Madrid, they're basically considering that a victory for them. Sure. (laughs) You know, know, another really sad thing is that Barcelona at first earned more cautions, yellow cards than Real in the first half. We had, I think, three yellow cards before they got their first one, but Real Madrid did not disappoint in the (laughs) end. We knew Ramos would get a yellow, though it, for a little while I thought maybe he would have gotten out without a caution. But Ramos never disappoints in a Clasico in the 78th minute. He was the fourth yellow card for Real Madrid. He finally got it. I mean, again, I like we were talking, I think mean, Casemiro for me is the most overrated
1: midfielder. I mean, he's such a hack the way he always goes for tackles. And he basically started the yellow card train for Real Madrid, you know. Yeah. And, of course, Ramos – just, you know, Ramos is going to get a yellow card. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's like it's the sun rising. Win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the sun rising. Ramos getting a yellow card in the Classico because he is not the most disciplined defender. And so the way that Barcelona always attacks and has, you know, really technical forwards, it's always going to put Ramos in peril. So, you know, it was just a matter of time. You know, it's funny because of just how many
0: cards he has in his career in Classicos. Yeah, 19 yellow cards and five red cards just in Classicos for Ramos. Yeah, I mean, I think Messi has 18 goals, so it's like <laughs> goals yeah. card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, again, coming back to Barcelona's attack, if you did have to pick a bright spot, it would ha- for me, it would have to be De Jong. In the 72nd minute, he had a there was a really good play with De Jong breaking through the lines, and he actually got a pretty solid shot off, but it was fairly textbook for Courtois to save he did he did have some bright spots and again I'm wondering it from his point
1: of view if he thinks this this team is so much slower than his Ajax team from last year because you know I was watching some highlights this morning I think about the Ajax Real Madrid game and it's just again I cannot get over the lack of speed we have and Dijon He's not the fastest, but he is trying to do something, right? And it's clear that you can see the energy that he has. He was constantly trying to help Rakitic. He was constantly trying to move the ball to an attacking position. But if he's the only one and the other six guys aren't doing
0: anything, we're not going to have any success. And Right. He's like a racehorse who's been put on a Budweiser Clydesdale team. <laughs> exactly. That's a good analogy. I like it.
1: And so – Again, that's why I don't understand why DeJong is not playing that pivot because give him the freedom to look up straight ahead, make those through balls. Because a lot of times when he's on the left side, he's playing with his back to the goal and you know he can't make the passes that he always wants to. But he, when he's playing the pivot, he can see he's holding back. He can make those runs and really help out with the attack. Again, DeJong, you know, I have no complaints about him. He has been one of our bright spots this year, but he needs help. He needs help, brother.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I keep thinking about the future midfield and if it has to be three men, I'm really looking forward to a day when we see De Jong up the middle as the mm-hmm. pivot, Alenia on the left or Arthur on mm-hmm. the left. I'm Not super sure about who would be on the right. Maybe no one who we have right now. But I do think that with a, the correct right back, Sergio Roberto on the right, that midfield would be really good moving forward. I dream of the day when we see that. I just want to see De Jong take that starting position,
1: because like I've told you, you know, comparing to Busquets, yeah, Busquets is the veteran, but we have to remember it's not 2012 Busquets anymore, right? right. I mean, we have to get that out of our heads. He's just being exposed more with the passing lanes and so forth. I'm excited about that lineup. I like Alenya. I also want Ricky Puj to be in there as well somehow, you know. Yeah, in another year or two. Yeah, yeah. And put if him on he stays on the, at the club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If he stays <laughs> at the club, you know. Again, they're fighting. So yeah, it's just, you know – we were, I was just telling this before. I mean, which midfield, youth midfield, are you kind of more scared or more excited for? Ours or Madrid's with Madrid with Valverde and Odegaard coming up the pipeline? I mean, Valverde and Odegaard are gaining real playing time in La Liga, and they're both super young. And we, I pointed out to you before in the scouting report about Valverde. I mean, you saw him last night. I mean, how good is that guy? I mean, you can just yeah. tell. he He's so good that Modric had to sub in. I mean, just think yeah. about that for a second, right? <laughs> Modric, who's the, the heart and soul of the midfield of Madrid for the last six years, was subbed in on a Clasico because Valverde is that much better, you know, because there's no room for him right now. And Valverde, for me, he gave us so much trouble. He had a shot on goal. He was up and down that flank. And again, you can just see the
0: comparison of youth to veteran. Now, speaking of youth to veteran, in the 82nd minute, Valverde used his second sub and put Fatih on for Griezmann. And immediately, he put an actual left winger in there. The kid has is excited. He's so young and has such a spark and skill and speed. And he looked really good. I didn't have great expectations, but he made a really good showing for himself. For sure. Again,
1: you know, as we talked about, it's it's amazing what happens when you put a player in the correct position. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> they play with confidence and they just play. And you can automatically see that Fati didn't have to worry about the defensive responsibilities you know Griezmann is trying to be a team player right now and really trying to help the team for the majority of the game with our lapses in midfield and defense right so that's what he's trying I mean, he has still the Atletico mentality Fati I think would have been you know like we talked about before I think the better starting lineup would have been Fati Griezmann and Messi and sure. I think just having that speed that or maybe the idea that he could be Carvajal over the top Would have not allowed them to press so high. You know, I love seeing Fatih because, like we talk about, you know, the last time that there was a scoreless Classico, Fatih wasn't even born, just to put it in perspective, you know? It was 2002. Exactly. And so we love to see this. You know, we're, we're excited because he's a Masia player, and I think that goes a long way. Also, he's talented, but. It's funny how Valverde just picks these favorites and just goes
0: with them, man. Now, one thing that uh, you've informed me, that a lot of people in Madrid are talking about in particular, is that Varane was pulled in the box twice mm-hmm. and no penalty was called. For sure. I mean,
1: this should have been a penalty. You know, I'm, I'm at least you know, one, at least one of them. Right. I mean, it's a 50 50, but either one could have been a penalty for me. The first one, you know, you could say that long leg got the ball with his head and therefore but. He, you know, he was flailing and you cannot be flailing in the box like that, hoping not to hit a player. Right. And Varan uploaded some pictures of his scars from that. And it's clearly a foul on that one. And the second one, he got pulled down by Rakitic and that's a foul, too. So either one could have been a penalty, as we talked about last weekend. Maybe VAR should be a little bit more, you know, um, intrusive in that, because, again, I just want a fair match, you know, and I don't like when. Madrid especially are whining about these no calls and they think that Barca has the advantage about with refs you know I hate that uh that point of view or that talking point that usually comes up with Madrid fans I think that it should have been a penalty again just really bad defending uh you know lack of discipline and again just goes to we don't have possession I mean the possession numbers again were 50 50 almost you know we had 52 percent I believe and that's just not good enough. You know, if you have the
0: ball, Madrid doesn't and you don't have these opportunities in your box. Well, so we ended with again, we we came <laughs> in tied on points. We left tied on points. Barca are strictly on top of the table, but only just just by a hair. But they might be able to shift that this weekend when they go up against Deportivo Alaves. So let's scout them. Also, we're not going to have another episode this calendar year, so we'll talk about whatever happens in this Alaves match when we come back in early January. But this weekend, La Liga continues with its normal schedule. It's match day 18, almost the end of the first leg. Barca will be going up against Alaves in the Camp Nou. And if you look at Alaves, they're a lower table team coming into this match in 14th place with 15 points off only 5 wins, 4 draws, and 8 losses. And I wanted to look at their records so far against the top teams in the league, it's not looking great for them. They lost to Real Madrid, 1-2 at home. They lost to Sevilla, 0-1 at home. Against Getafe, who is surprisingly high in the table, drew 1-1 on the road. And against Atletico Madrid, they also drew 1-1, and that was at home. They haven't beat any of the top five teams, but one thing that they have been able to do in all but one of these is score a goal, but only one. They've only managed to score more than one goal in four matches this season against Mallorca, Celta, Osasuna, and Ibar. And this will be the 19th game that their manager, Asier Garitano, has been in charge for Alaves, and that will equal the number of matches he was in charge for at his last post at Real Sociedad before he was let go in the middle of last season. Now, he's pretty flexible with his formations. They started out this season playing 4-1-4-1 and 5-4-1 in the first few weeks, Then starting to shift more to 4-4-2 for the majority of games since then. But their last win was all the way back on match day 14 when they beat Ibar with a 4-2-3-1. I already love this manager. Look at those flexible formations. I love it so
1: much. Oh my (laughs) gosh. That makes me so happy, you know. It's like kanyas uh, and tapas and flexible formations make me super happy. <laughs> you know? If there's two things I love, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I it's really again not about Alavez so much. Okay, I mean, especially since we're playing at home, will Alavez press us or try to press us? If I were the Alavez coach, I would say yes. Let's go for it and try to, go, especially coming after the Classico where Alavez has a little bit a longer break and they can kind of be ready for this. But again, Brian, like you said, they're not setting the world on fire with goal scoring, but they have been able to score goals. And also it comes down to who scores first in this type of match, right? So if Alves is able to get a lucky goal you know, from the first point, then all of a sudden we're on our back heels and we're searching for the game. Could be difficult because then they can go park the bus. I'm more concerned about what lineup we go And then that will kind of dictate to me how I think the match is going to go. But before right now,
0: two days before, you know, it's going to be interesting if Valverde goes with a young squad going into Christmas. Well, something similar to the squad that he put on against Inter Milan, who did really well in that game, given the sort of fatigue factor with the Classico in the middle of the week. I think that would be he would be well justified in putting a different, a mostly different lineup on against Alaves, who is admittedly. Not a great team, and they may try to press, but the question is, will it be that successful? Do they really have the the players to pull it off?
1: Yeah, you brought up a good point. I would love to see that lineup from Inter because just on paper, it's going to give us so much more energy. You know, I have a couple questions: Does Suarez sit out? Will Messi sit out? uh, Especially coming into this long break, because you know there have been some reports here in Spain that Messi is nursing some sort of injury, and that could have led to his Sociedad and Clasico performance of just not being messy like as we expect him to. So it's I would go for the Inter lineup. I think with Perez and Fatih, I think on those two uh, wings, it'll give us a lot of speed and energy that we just lack this season, man. I mean, did you ever think, you know, I mean, I hate to not, you know, to talk about Alaves and so forth, but I mean, did you ever think that you would ever see a Classico with so much non-energy from our team and that's just really permeating because we just don't have the youth and again i think the inter lineup would really invigorate us because then all of a sudden we see toady who we both love we see a little bit of more uh speed all around the team and all of a sudden we can really just play and try to do some creative things which we've been kind of lacking lately
0: yeah i mean think about it like a little a a little furpo Mm-hmm. A, a little Todibo, a little Tell Wake, maybe Tell even Umtiti. Yeah. You get a little Alenia going on in there. Keep De Jong because yeah. he's got the legs. He can handle yeah. it. Vidal. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course Vidal. <laughs> but yeah, Griezmann, Fati, maybe even Carlos
1: Perez. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot because all of a sudden they can't press high like Real Madrid did. All of a sudden you have Totibo and Dijon, who can break the press up the middle. Then you also have Wagu and, and uh, Furpo with a little bit of speed on the flanks there. You know, they're not going to be asked to do too much. And if it's a 3-5-2, I'm all aboard. I'm all aboard with that. I like it a lot because then all of a sudden it overflows our midfield with a little bit more
0: player triangle action that we've been kind of lacking in the 4-3-3 lately. And going back to Alaves and sort of where they're at, they they just lost their most recent game to Real Hayen, in the first round of Copa del Rey 3 to 1. Hien is a fourth division team. They're in the Tercera. They and they totally worked Alavez, but notice Alavez still scored a goal. And in this game we might see former Barcelona player Alex Vidal. He played right back for us, but he actually plays right wing for Alavez. Yeah, you have to say it like this, ya Hien,
1: you know, with yeah. the RJ. <laughs> But that's crazy, right? And they lost to a fourth division teammate. I mean, it's not like Olives is playing for Champions League, you know. like They just come on, put everyone on there to try and go for the goal there in Copa del Rey. Again, you know, these poor teams that just don't have the depth to play multiple matches. You know, you can see the struggle that happens. Again, poor Alex Vidal. I mean, remember a time ago, he was a prized signing, you know, with Turan. And Vidal, you know, right? that seems like a decade ago, essentially, you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, again, Alex Vidal was a decent backup, but he was never going to be the full outright and out starter for Barca. Again, it'll be interesting to see his play because he has gotten more playing time with Alivez. So I'm interested to see how he performs. But again, Brian, I really hope that Valverde uses the youth lineup that we did against Inter. I think that will be exciting and especially just give our veterans a break going into Christmas. So they can
0: really just get ready, uh, rested up, and enjoy the holidays. Yeah, I would love to see that too. Now we'll be back on January 6th with a new episode. We will break down the Alivez match and we'll be scouting the Spanish Super Cup to be played in Saudi Arabia that week. Barca Talk is a production of Sounded Media, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson, produced by Brian Henderson, social media and promotion by Two Point Go. Until next time, Visca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
0: Laundry? Ooh, a book club!